Welcome to I'm Anxious About, a podcast where two friends commiserate about our respective anxieties on a new topic each week. I'm Christopher Mitchell. And I'm Alyssa Green, and today we are anxious about losing things. Yes, losing things. I think this is one people will resonate with, but probably in different ways. And my feeling is even people who are maybe more neurotypical might have some struggles with this, but probably a different level of struggle for those with anxiety and that extra special touch of ADHD. Yeah, I think so. I think it's like, you know, everyone loses things, right? But some people, myself included, get into a pattern of losing things to like where you anticipate the losing and then it creates Mm -hmm. anxiety around that. And I think people with anxiety and ADD, ADHD are more prone to losing things because we have these very loud mental narratives going on at all times. So it can be hard while those mental narratives are like being really compelling and you're like, oh, remember how awful I was when I did this awful thing? Oh, I hate myself. And then you like suddenly realize that you've dropped something somewhere and then you're like, oh, wait, where was that thing that was in my hand that was really important? So (laughs) I think we're a little more prone to uh, that kind of thing, which... Yeah, continue on. I just, your rant did reminded me of another rant. No, go for it. Cause I was about to, uh, I had lost my train of thought, which is another thing that I'm anxious about, but we'll have to do that another <laughs> that, time. I guess that counts as losing a thing, right? Yeah, yeah. If a thought is a thing, then yes. Then I lose things all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but it seems too pertinent not to just follow that up that I was reading a Reddit thread in the subreddit on anxiety. And there was a post, it says, rant, I can't handle losing things. <laughs> and I just want to read <laughs> one paragraph from it before we check in, because I yeah. just think it sets things up pretty well. Right now, I'm in the middle of an absolute full-fledged freakout. Today, it is my deodorant. I just had my deodorant yesterday. I just had it in my hand, putting it on yesterday. And now suddenly, it is gone. Why? Where did it go? What did I do with it? Where did I put it? It should be right here. Right freaking here. It makes me so, so angry. I want to rip everything in the entire house apart and throw it all over the place and destroy everything until I find that stupid deodorant. Yes, that is basically my mental narrative two to three times a day. (laughs) Well... There you go. But let us zoom in on today and we shall go with our very appropriate scale on a scale of one to realizing you've lost your keys at the exact moment you need to leave. Where are you at? I'm at like a seven ish. I was doing okay today, but for some reason I decided two hours before recording that I need to bite the bullet and make this phone call that I've been putting off that's like really important, but has a deadline within a week. And 
it took like an hour to solve the problem. And honestly, it went as well as it could have possibly gone. Like my customer service representative was a literal angel as she like held my hand through a slight meltdown. I was like thanking her through tears by the end of the phone call. <laughs> I was like, I'm really sorry. I have anxiety and I hate phone call. Oh. And she was really nice. But I just kind of have now like the anxiety hangover. And like I was trying mm-hmm. to be proud of myself for finishing the task and being like, you did it, Allison, gold star. But like, <laughs> honestly, like, I couldn't even really muster up that feeling of accomplishment yet, you know, because I'm still too much in the like activated anxiety feel. So it's like, you know, I was trying to be like, you did it. Good job. But I'm still really honestly kind of in like that flight Shell or shot. flight. Yeah, that like fight or flight post panic attack response. Like I didn't have a panic attack, but just sort of that like that come down feeling. It's just mm-hmm. ooh, shaking it off. So if I'm a little extra jittery, it'll be perfect, actually, because I'll match your energy because longtime <laughs> listeners will be excited to know that Chris is currently drinking coffee. So this is sure to be yeah. a crazy episode. yeah no pressure at all i mean i guess that laugh was a little like "Ah, ah," like caffeinated right that was a pretty caffeinated laugh yeah so i should give the laugh of someone who's drinking green tea no that was not a green tea laugh i think i think that much was clear (laughs) (laughs) yeah the green tea laugh comes with a little bit of pretension you know just like oh yeah yeah." and like the sound of like a yoga mat unfurling (laughs) That's true, actually. I don't know if people know that, but that comes standard with every green tea purchase. (laughs) The sound as you put the bag in the cup. So I guess I got to answer this scale. Yeah. So Chris, on a scale of one to realizing you've lost your keys at the exact moment you need to leave for something very important. How are you doing today? You forgot to put in the for something very important at the end of the scale, which just amps it up just like a little extra notch. It's a little well, that's, seasoning on that anxiety sentence. Yeah, obviously I forgot I, I lost that part of the sentence. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll blame the coffee. Um, <laughs> where am I at? So firstly, I should mention the reason that I went for the coffee is because I just did not sleep well last night. You'll recognize this well, and I'm sure some other listeners will, where it's a sort of sleep where you just kind of wake up abruptly for no real apparent reason, like every 55 minutes. And you basically, by the time you wake up, you're like, well, I'm not well rested, but I hate this. (laughs) So I'm going to get up, drink a pot of tea, and then I just have some stuff I have to get done today. And so it's one of these situations where I really can't afford to put everything to a halt and nap. So I'm tapping my old friend coffee on the shoulder and I'm not drinking much of it because I know I don't always react well with it, but I am having a little bit and it seems to be helping. But if I am, um, you know, on a mental roller coaster today, I'm just going to formally blame coffee. (laughs) I think as far as the number is concerned, I'm probably uh, for just a lack of sleep, as you'll well know. Mm -hmm. You just feel off, you know what I mean? Like you're just not quite where you want to be. Like... I almost get this like physical feeling that the bags under my eyes like are visible from space. And (laughs) even though I know they're not, but it's almost like a pressure underneath your eyes. And I kind of like, I almost want to go to Brie and be like, do I look like vampiric? (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) and she's always like, no, it's a, you're, you're just fine or whatever. But I just kind of feel that way. And 
I don't know. I mean, I just feel more vulnerable when I'm really tired and caffeinated. Yeah. Like certain yeah. songs make me more emotional. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a little bit more excitable. I'm a little bit more this, that, and the other. So I think a four is only appropriate. The coffee is making me feel pretty good, I must say. But there's like, I would be just lying to myself if I wasn't saying there's a bit of an underlying thread of anxiety under all this. And it's just another reminder of how important sleep can be and how sleep relates to anxiety. And that is a future episode and a bridge that we're going to cross yeah. later for long-time listeners. It's something we've been too anxious about to actually record yeah. an episode of I'm Anxious right. About. about. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, that's a sentence that you don't want transcribed. <laughs> no. <laughs> like the AI robot would just be like, I quit. <laughs> just literally combust. <laughs> yeah. Like whatever deep learning is trying to happen, just being like, nope, I quit. I quit. Exactly. Anyways, I think that's a pretty high average for us for this episode. So yeah. good luck, listeners. Yeah, this will be a wild ride, perhaps. <laughs> Let's hope it doesn't end in me sobbing and thanking you like the customer service agent. <laughs> well, you know I'm going to shoot for that now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Alrighty. So where should we dive in here? There's so many places. I guess the first thing that I just wanted to talk about is that, or at least the most obvious thing to me as it relates to losing things is that, you know, the reason that I really struggle with losing things is because of my occasional inability to appropriately like emotionally regulate myself. And so yeah. the real issue that I have is that I lose something in my head that's underlined and has an exclamation mark. You know, Bree is reasonable and logical and she'll be like, Chris, um, you, you haven't even really looked for it. Like you're already mourning the loss of the thing you haven't even looked for. So the problem is like you send yourself into this mental tailspin and you're really not mentally like even equipped to look for the thing because you're in this panic mode, right? And so yeah. the big thing that I find with losing things and something I'm getting better at is just actually taking a deep breath and realizing there's no chance that I'm going to like have the logic to find this thing and retrace my steps if I'm just in sheer panic mode. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing I would love to talk about is just the relationship between losing things and emotional regulation. And I think we will have to take that afterwards to a place where we talk about why we're more adept at losing things and stuff. But the first thing that comes to mind for me is that emotional regulation once I've lost something. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think for me, losing things, yes, it sucks. But I think what really gets me anxious is the narrative around myself that I create in the losing of something, gotcha. you know, and like, oh, I'm such a disorganized mess. I'm someone who can't get their shit together. Like, mm -hmm. why am I always doing this? Why am I like this? Why can't I be like a normal person who loses things like a normal amount as if there's like a specific integer that's like this is the normal amount of times people should loot things in a week or whatever like yeah. i'm comparing myself to this arbitrary made-up metric in my head and finding myself deficient and it's that narrative that gets me more stressed out than like the actual lost object i mean mm -hmm. in the moment it's the lost object but what's really behind the anxiety is how it makes me think of myself and when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the quote, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. 
And Mm -hmm. I was just thinking about that quote the other day. I was talking about it with a friend and it's like a lot of the stuff with anxiety kind of relates to that. Like there's going to be things that suck. There's going to be pain. There's going to be things that we just don't like. But then the suffering part, the mental narratives and loops that we tell ourselves about ourselves, that's all optional. So to like bring this into what our context is, losing is inevitable. Suffering is optional, you know, and it's just like we don't need to make everything be so much larger than life. And I know that's one of those things where someone's probably like, well, fuck you, Allison. I know that. It's like the same as someone being like, just be happy, you know, just smile. Don't worry about it, bud. But, you know, I think we do have an element of control over it. It's something that we have to learn with time and through like patience and grace with ourselves. But I think kind of learning to separate the pain and the suffering, like the the cause and then the narrative is something that's important for people with anxiety because the two feel like completely inextricably linked when you're in the middle of an anxious episode, but they're not actually together. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. I, I think what occurred to me when you were talking about that really was just the way in which Sometimes if I've lost something like you, I'll just immediately file it into the incompetence pile, like another (laughs) vote of incompetence for me. But kind of as you were saying, like the only reason I do that is because I'm that neural pathway or that path is well-formed and well-trodden, right? You know, I almost never have the ability to think about circumstance or, you know, to forgive myself for why something could have been lost. You know, like Mm -hmm. even if I was having the craziest day and um, I accomplished a lot in the 10 days prior to that or whatever, I would just fixate on the fact that I lost, you know, a pair of mittens. And even if I didn't love the pair of mittens, you know, I would still obsess over it. And sadly, you know, that vote that would shift it over to the incompetence pile, it can mute out a lot of other things which actually matter and should have a larger pile. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's interesting how quickly you can go there. And, you know, we talked a lot as of late about meditation as a tool for just trying to examine your mental processes a little bit better. And I think the best we can do is probably just maybe just find that extra second to breathe and consider whether that incident needs to be filed right away into the incompetence pile so that we can (laughs) pile on the shame. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I think that's very apt. I think we're so quick to want to categorize things. Like that's something that our brain is very good at. It's something that was useful evolutionarily for our brain to be able to categorize things instead of every single time from scratch being, oh, hey, let me like think about this object completely for the first time. Like categories are helpful. We're not just, oh, giant furry thing running at me. What is that? Do I like that? We just know, oh, shit, lion, run. And so like, I think there are ways in which the thing that was beneficial to us evolutionarily is kind of detrimental to us mentally because now we just categorize all of our own behaviors as like good and bad. And we're just, we're very quick to want to put things into a specific box as opposed to having any sort of thought around it. Like brains are lazy. They just want to categorize things as easily as possible, you know? And that doesn't leave a lot of grace and nuance for yourself. You just want to be like, 
oh, I'm someone who thinks that I'm bad a lot when I do this. So I'm just going to keep thinking this. And it's almost unconscious. You just kind of laid all that judgment all over yourself. That was a very weird, (laughs) a very weird metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I really just wanted to make sure I let that be extra silent there. Yeah, To make things extra awkward. I just thought that was... Is this like hot soup? Am I getting burned? <laughs> like, what's happening? Well, you got here? burned by the silence there. I did. Yeah, that's strong. And it should have because I should learn that that was an objectively bad metaphor. <laughs> As an aficionado and purveyor of great metaphors, I have to concur. That was not one. Yeah. <laughs> so, moving on from my shame. Yeah. Please take I can take that from you if you yeah. want. You can pass Go the baton it. over. It's actually quite related. And I was reading an article before we hopped on here, actually, just to try and figure out what percentage of this was related to anxiety and what percentage of this was related to ADHD. And of course, like when it comes to losing things as well, there's OCD. There are all kinds of issues around losing things that aren't just related to anxiety per se. So I was just trying to figure out, is this something that's common? And I read a pretty interesting article, which I'll link to in the show notes, which was talking about how generalized anxiety disorder does lend itself to losing things. And it's actually on a physiological level. And that's because, you know, we have a few different memory systems in the brain. So for example, long-term memory systems help us remember information and events from distant past and stuff like that. And that's not necessarily that affected by anxiety, but working memory is Mm -hmm. affected by anxiety. Mm -hmm. And working memory is, you kind of think about it as like, you know, how we solve problems in the present, how we think about information in the present, how we organize information in the present. And so working memory is proven to be affected by and influenced by worry and anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so that can lead to mistakes around like completing a task or concentrating. They give a few examples, like not remembering where you parked your car or frequently losing things or perhaps like difficulty recalling directions you were given, even remembering items that you purchased from the store or this kind of stuff. And I think that kind of stuff can resonate, you know, like even sometimes I think about like, we'll record an episode of I'm anxious about, and I've just been talking about something for an hour and Brie would be like, oh, what was your topic today? And sometimes I'll have to like stop and be like, what was the topic? You know what I mean? Yeah. And that, I think that's an example of that. But I just thought that was worth pointing out that like for people who might have anxiety and do struggle with that. Working memory is affected by worry and anxiety. And there are things you can do around that to prevent that. It's not like your fate is sealed and like good luck in life. It's just to remember that maybe to just take away some of that shame and frustration, maybe just don't bury yourself in a pile of shame because you know, if you're somebody who's prone to anxiety or has generalized anxiety disorder, it's something that can happen. And maybe just don't be quite as hard on yourself if you lose your keys, it's going to be okay sort of thing. That's kind of what I wanted to bring up with that. But I thought that was worth mentioning. And and as I said, I'll link to that in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that that's very true and makes me feel slightly better about my propensity to lose things. I think I've definitely always struggled with very limited working memory. I feel like my brain is a computer with very little RAM, you know? And it's what do you always, always call it? Like the Dell with the Windows yeah. 95? <laughs> yeah, the 95 Dell with the fans blasting and trying to boot up for two hours. Yeah, that's my brain. And it's always like, 
close program, close program, no space, no space, close program. And it's like, <laughs> you should work better than this, brain. You're smart, but like, you really can't do a lot of things at once. And I think that that's been something I've struggled with is just, again, like that being the struggle, like that just having a shorter working memory, but also the narratives that I create around it about, oh, like I'm a stupid person or I'm, you know, just so forgetful and like how bad it is to be forgetful. It's definitely something that I kind of have made larger than life. And that's why when we were picking this episode, I was like, am I actually anxious about losing things? Like, doesn't everyone just hate losing things? And then I'm like, well, no, like I actually have very specific anxieties about what being a person who loses things means. You know what I mean? I take it very personally instead of just like, oh, this is just something that's been lost. That's it. That is the crux of it right there. Like sometimes when we do a topic, I have to think, am I anxious about this? Am I not? But I, I am anxious about losing things because of exactly what you said. I'm worried that it confirms that I'm not enough, you know, that I'm yeah. not smart enough, that I'm not this, that I'm not that. And it's like that quote I always reference from that ADHD podcast I listened to a while back with like the Ferrari engine bicycle brakes, you know, mm-hmm. I actually feel like that's almost too simple a metaphor because I feel like I've got the RAM to do what I want to do, but it, but I've actually done a pretty good job of building out the brakes that I need. And then so when I lose something, then I have to question, do I have bicycle brakes? Like, do I have the brakes that I think? So it, it sends me into this, this bit of a tailspin where I just, you know, I sort of convict myself for losing something that I guess it comes down to the fact that, you know, when I was a kid in class, like there were certain subjects that I was really good at, you know, like creative tasks and English and so on and so forth, but objective and very straightforward, only one kind of answer, the maths and the science of the world, I wasn't necessarily terrific at. And so I internalized. And I think also there were some teachers, even my homeroom teachers who knew what my brain was and who I was and were able to like really, I was able to really excel in their class. And there were other teachers who kind of wrote me off as stupid. And so I never really knew what kind of brain I had until probably grade seven when I was in the right situation where I realized like, okay, I think I might have something to offer. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But at the same time too, I did spend a lot of time stuck in my own head thinking like, I don't know, I hope I'm smart. Like I really want to be smart. And so if I look deeply at it, these little things, which should mean nothing, like losing something, like the mittens thing was real. Like I did lose a pair of mittens the other day. I just was more like dumbfounded. Like how, how could I have let that happen? Mm -hmm. You know, like put them down somewhere. Like, and of course I got them back uh, and found them again. Right. But at the time, it became larger than life. And if I really examine it carefully, I think it's tied to that narrative. And, you know, I don't feel that really anymore. For the most part, I understand that I think I've done enough thinking and had enough experiences, good and bad experiences, that I think I have something to offer. I'd like to think so. Otherwise, having a podcast would be fairly useless. (laughs) But at the same time, too, there is still that little echoey voice that's just kind of like, but maybe you're stupid, stupid, stupid. (laughs) You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think, you know, it's hard. Like, we just have to work on rewriting the stories we tell ourselves, but they're very well-worn neural pathways a lot of the time, like you said. So it can be really hard to break that up. And I think also we tend to, like, catastrophize. It's like a hobby of ours, apparently. And that word has to appear in every show for every topic, right? Because it just, it is. That's the reality. 
And so one thing that I constantly do is make my short working memory now mean that it's inevitable that I'm going to develop Alzheimer's when I'm old, which is like my biggest fear. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh, this is just proof. Maybe I have early onset Alzheimer's at age 31 because I don't remember (laughs) Downhill from here. (laughs) Yeah, 32, I'll be in a home. You know, I'll have a diaper. I won't know my name. Oh you know, it's just like I'm so quick to just go to the worst possible case scenario. And it's like, hey, maybe the simpler answer is actually that you have a million fucking things going on and this yeah. doesn't feel like the most important thing. So your brain just doesn't think about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then it's the old adage or the old thought as well that like just because you did this one thing wrong, it doesn't mean you've failed in every other aspect. Like that's really the problem is the unapologetic condemnation where it's just this one thing now proves that you are nothing. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Like you might've had the best day you've accomplished 10 things, but this one little thing, it puts you back in the driver's seat of that shitty car. You know, like you're feeling pretty good. You're on a highway that is worlds away from the road that you were on. And one little thing losing something it puts you back on the shitty car on the shitty road that you thought you didn't have to drive anymore (laughs) yeah yeah and I think sometimes the thing that can be so frustrating is the feeling of it being kind of like a groundhog's groundhog yeah yeah ground I was like (laughs) is it plural is it is I still do Groundhog's Day, Groundhog. Yeah, no, no, no. I think Groundhog Day, Groundhog Day. Yeah, um, it's a Groundhog Day scenario where you kind of feel like you're living the same loop. Where like when I was a teacher, I was really, really forgetful because my work was so. You know, I was taking care of six to twelve special needs children at any time, so it was like my attention was being pulled a million different ways. And I was notorious in my classroom for like losing the worksheets. I would have the worksheets, they'd all be ready to go. And then it's like every day, maybe three times a day, I would just put them somewhere random when I was walking around the class, like getting ready to kind of transition between lessons or subjects. And it was something where like, we'd have to like stop the flow of the class every day for like, you know one to like maybe seven minutes while I like tried to track down my stuff. That was very specific, by the way. One to seven minutes, never longer than seven. (laughs) Never longer than seven. (laughs) Definitely never had to abandon an entire lesson plan because I couldn't find a worksheet. (laughs) But um, But those seven minutes were hell. Yeah. And I would also lose my water bottle all over the school. Mm -hmm. It would be a thing where like, People knew what my water bottle was and would bring it to my classroom. They're like, oh, a random green water bottle like left on a table. That's got to be Miss Green's. And they'd bring it up to me and they'd just be like, your water bottle again. Like it was every day, multiple times a day. Or like I'd have to ask my teacher's assistant to like, I'd be like, shit, my water's gone. Can you go check for it? And it's just one of those things where it's just like, but it would get into my head where I was just, I know that my water bottle and my worksheets are the two things, also my keys, are the three things that I would constantly misplace, constantly. And it's like, why can't I have more awareness since I know that these are the things that I always, you know, miss? But the thing is, I think it's more an ADHD thing. I think so, probably. Yeah, where it's like, 
I feel like I don't have full executive function, you know, like I really have troubles putting things into like specific orders or organizing things in steps or kind of prioritizing different information. And so I think it's more like my brain doesn't really know how to prioritize two pieces of information and it just like picks whatever it thinks is like the most important and the other one literally just gets left on any free stuff. Evaporates. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's probably to blame. But at the time, I didn't even really think that I had ADHD. Like I had studied it in coursework, obviously, like working in special education. But I think we're so prone to pathologizing different mental illnesses in ways that kind of conform with gender expectations. Mm -hmm. And I noticed this a lot as a teacher, where a lot of students who were female who didn't quite fit certain patterns got categorized a certain way because of expected socialization responses, you know? Yeah, they weren't rambunctious boys who were jumping on tables. Exactly. So I had a lot of students who probably would have benefited from like an ADHD diagnosis or lots of female students who would have benefited from like an autism diagnosis, but because they didn't meet the specific kind of stereotype of the Neural illness. criteria. Yeah. Yeah. They just never got their diagnoses. And I think I'm kind of one of those cases where like, you know, I wasn't rambunctious and I was smart, so I like compensated in like a lot of ways for my forgetfulness and poor planning skills and that sort of thing. And so I was always able to kind of like pull it off, but always with like a feeling of fluster and like, oh shit, will I actually get this done? You know, kind of like a sliding in like to home plate kind of thing, like just before the like the- Looking up at the ump, like out, am I out? <laughs> yeah. I've never made a baseball metaphor before, so I'm, I'm trying. really happy. That was very good. <laughs> but I think I always kind of operated like that. And it's actually, honestly, I think really just working with you on this podcast that has made me be like, oh, actually, I think this is kind of what's going on in my brain. And it's been helpful, actually, to just know that maybe it's not a complete moral failing. Maybe it's like mm -hmm. just, you know, an issue of like neurodiversity. And when I put it in that framework, like I can suddenly be so much more sympathetic towards myself in a way that I wasn't able to before, you know? Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. And and it doesn't make sense to get angry at yourself either, right? Because it, it's kind of like you have a car, right? To go back to the car metaphor, right? And it's just like, well, it doesn't make sense to spend your time getting angry about what car you have. Like you're better served trying to figure out how to drive it, <laughs> you know? Right. And, and so my experience with ADHD, I was diagnosed in grade three, I think, or two, maybe two or three. And I took medication for a couple of years. And then I just didn't like how dull they felt by medication at that time. And I can't speak for whether that's a experience that others would feel or not. Like I'm not in a position to talk about whether medication works for it's so specific for any individual, but I decided I didn't want to take it anymore. And so I got to work building those breaks and I didn't always work, you know, it didn't always work for me, but eventually I figured it out. And I think actually it's really funny, really intriguing to hear your experience because my experience is like, I've worked so hard to make sure that I don't forget things that I've almost developed some like compulsive behavior around making sure that I always have everything, you know, not uncommon for me to touch my pocket to check that I have my phone and wallet, like, I don't mm -hmm. know, dozens of times a night. Like back in university, I used to joke every time before we went out to the bar, I'd look at my friends and go, testicles, spectacles, wallet, and watch. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, well, so that became. I hope you don't forget your testicles too often, Chris. That sounds. I actually never. Now. 
<laughs> I never did. So that's encouraging. But, you know, became a running joke with some friends or kind of we'd all before heading out to the bar go testicle spectacles while on watch. I like that. And honestly, like I made a point of always putting things in the same place to always know where they are. I actually, this seems like an appropriate uh, moment to read. I was reading this article in Attitude Magazine, ADD, Attitude Magazine, and it talks about you should put your quote waiting to be lost items in the same place. <laughs> so like the items that you lose all the time, just put them in the same place. Do yourself a favor, you know, even if it's a drawer that you dump everything into. And the other tip there that really struck me was don't try to hide it. <laughs> when there's something that you think you're going to lose, you almost go over the top and you put it in a special place. <laughs> then the next day you're like, oh my gosh, I can't remember the special place I put it. So, you know, the tip being to always put those things in the same place. So it's funny, I actually think like all this systemization and all the crazy lists that I have and all the organization, I actually think is like my really intense effort to try and build my own brakes for that powerful engine there. Like I'm trying to make sure that I have systems in place because that's how I get control. Something goes wrong and doesn't work. And then I immediately craft a plan to make sure it doesn't happen again. And then that can be a dangerous game because if it does happen again, then there's even more at stake because you're like, well, now I've tried to correct this and I can't even do that. But for the most part around that kind of stuff, I have been able to correct it. You know, the downside of that, of course, is it can be almost too much at times where it's like, if I'm checking my pocket every 14 minutes, every time I'm out, then that's you know, that's overkill, right? Like then you're just too much in that. So I think it's about finding a balance for me where I know I'm not going to lose something, but like at the same time too, I don't want to develop a compulsion where I'm touching my breast pocket every four minutes and people are like, are you touching your heart? Or like, are you okay? <laughs> you know what I mean? Do we need to call an ambulance? Yeah. Like you, you seem are you to- feeling a tingling sensation in your hand. <laughs> Have you lost something, Chris? Perhaps your mind. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I tend to be like that before I leave the house where like I need to check every single thing a million times. Once I'm out, I completely forget about everything. And then it's very typical for me to lose things while I'm out. And one thing that that reminds me of that we haven't covered is losing things while traveling. That is my Mm -hmm. absolute downfall. I constantly lose things while I travel. It was almost like a Hansel and Gretel-esque trail of random backpacker <laughs> items when I was doing my first kind of like round the world trip where it's like every hostel, I would leave something behind. Like, oh, there goes my travel towel. There goes my charger. Have you ever played the game Where in the World's Carmen San Diego? Yes. I'm picturing like you're leaving these breadcrumbs around and I'm like trying to figure out where you went. I'm like, okay, she was in Paris on the second. <laughs> I think she's gone to London, you know? <laughs> Sorry, I pictured this elaborate game. And if other listeners didn't, <laughs> I think this is probably pretty awkward, but I thought <laughs> <are> clearly. <laughs> yeah, no, that was pretty much what was happening. It was okay, every good. hostel got like one to two items left behind. And sometimes it was just like, how could this have possibly gone? You know, <laughs> it makes no sense. And It got to a point where I could not leave the place I was staying without doing like a million checks. And it was like a CSI sort of. Yeah. Like getting out like a, you know, black light detector. You know, where is it? No, not quite like that. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. Yeah, true, true. As I said that, I was like, ooh, no, no, no. Put that away. Turn that light off. Oh, yikes. I'm blinded. 
<laughs> it's a glowing room. Yeah, this has never been cleaned. Oh, dear. <laughs> this is a pathogen factory. Um, <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, but it is stressful when you lose things on the road because, like, while you're traveling, especially like if you're traveling around sort of like the more developing world, there's not always like a centralized location to kind of like shop in, you know, like good luck Mm -hmm. trying to find something like a chapstick easily. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like you can just run into like CVS or some sort of American style pharmacy where they sell like medicine, but also everything else you could possibly want. And that's always one thing I kind of lament while I'm traveling is I miss the American style pharmacies that sell everything just because it's the one stop shop where you know that almost anything you could have possibly lost or needed, you can find there. And there isn't really stuff like that in many other places in the world. And this is true even in many places in Europe. You're like, I don't even know where I would buy like a new pair of iPhone headphones or something like that. Maybe there is like one specific place, but it's far and inconvenient to get to and you would have to do some like Google searching. Whereas like in the US, you can just pop into a CVS and they have literally everything. And it's like, this makes no sense because like the store has a finite amount of space, but it's still somehow like the room of requirement in Harry Potter, where no matter what I've lost, I can find it here. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. I love that so much. While you were talking about that, actually reminded me of the time I flew to New York to visit a friend and I just forgot my toiletry case, like just didn't bring it with me which is extremely out of character for me. And Brie, when I messaged her at the airport, I was like, I forgot my toiletry case. She was just like, okay, calm down, calm down. Because she knows I would be like, oh my goodness. And then of course, I messaged my buddy, John. I was like, so I've forgotten everything that I need in life. Um, He's like, literally go to the Dwayne Reed on the corner of my street. As soon as you said New York, I was like, he's about to talk about Dwayne Reed, isn't he? Yeah. So literally, I go in there and I'm like, okay, uh, shampoo, a mini shampoo, a mini toothbrush, a mini deodorant, a charger, an extra charger for my phone. Like, I literally walked out of there and I was like, and problem solved in about 64 seconds. Like, yeah. It was uh, very convenient. Uh, No one will say America is not the land of convenience, but I I think I mentioned this in an episode before, but like the amount of choice there would be overwhelming. Like I don't need 74 different chapsticks. Just give me one that's, you know, Burt's Bees is fine. I shall walk out and be happy. But I know what you mean. When I was traveling around and living abroad, there were certain things where I was like the almost like disgusting amount of convenience (laughs) is something missed in North America. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like I was trying to think of one thing that like I lost um, like an eye mask. And, you know, when you're staying in hostels a lot, that's something that you really want because there's always like that drunk asshole who comes in at like three in the morning and turns on the light and is like, hey, where's everything, huh? Are people sleeping? And you're just like, (laughs) just fall in a toilet and just never be seen again. It's fine. <laughs> Did you throw a death wish on that guy? <laughs> yeah, just a light toilet drowning. No big deal. Um, yeah, very light. Extremely I light. become a very different person when woken up at three in the morning. All right? True. Um, True. But uh, that is like the worst possible thing to lose if you're not in North America because what store would even sell that? You know what I mean? Like 
try finding an eye mask in this country. I dare you. I'm in Bulgaria right now. Like, try finding an eye mask. I have no idea. I've lived here for three years. I still have no idea where the fuck I would even buy an eye mask. And so- <laughs> <laughs> tragic a tragic situation <laughs> truly heinous out of control but it's just out one of those things where like where you're traveling it's just traveling is lovely but like it adds a lot of like friction points to rent sure. like experiences that would normally be easy and sometimes that's like awesome because you know you get to do something that you never would have done or like you stumble across something you wouldn't have but sometimes it's just like a meltdown waiting to happen you know yeah, I do know. I do know. That's why I'm the guy who checks under everything before getting off a plane to the point where people are like, I, I think you got it. Like, you know, I think if there was anything lost, like you you would have found lost artifacts um, based on your, your search efforts. So I go with the overcompensation. And I, I think also, and this, I'm not sure if you have much more to say. And for the main segment, I was just kind of, this seemed like an apt place to transition into to tips and mm-hmm. so forth. But one thing that is helpful is is traveling with Brie and not even travel, just like being with Brie because she is a, a good reminder that sometimes I ascribe so much to something that I've, you know, lost or if I lost something, you know, it can be overblown or over the top. And she's a good person to remind me, like, it's just a thing, you know, again, I think this ties in deeper to like some fear of loss and stuff like that. I, I've mentioned before, I lost my best friend, uh, you know, about a decade ago. And I just, I'm extra stressed about losing things, you know, because of that, even if it seems benign, like I just, I don't want to lose anything else, you know? And so Bree's a good reminder that it's not as big a deal as as I think it it is, you know, like take a deep breath. It's just a thing. And that is helpful to remember. Sometimes it's not always easy to, easy to remember, but you know, she's right at the end of the day. And everything I've read around Buddhism and everything and so forth is basically like, you can't take anything with you anyways. So, (laughs) you know, there's no difference if you're buried in a tomb surrounded by gold bars or, or not anyways, right? So we're just here to do our best. And very rarely is happiness tethered to material wealth. And so I try to remember that too, like these larger underpinnings that at the end of the day, you know, if I had lost my mittens, you know, really, honestly, does that actually matter? No, it doesn't. You know, I can order another pair of mittens and Amazon can have them delivered to my door in 48 hours. And, you know, ADHD chased the tinfoil down the street part of me. is like, ooh, new mittens, <laughs> you know, and I'll, yeah. I'll get over it. <laughs> so that's the first thing I try to remember. I mean, Generally speaking, Brie serves as an underlying voice of reason for my existence because I think she appreciates how like excitable and I can be pretty curious George-esque, but that means at times uh, do need a handler. (laughs) So Chris's tip is have a Brie. Everyone should have a Brie. My tip? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's not a very helpful tip. Please don't try and take my wife from me. Yeah, my underlying tip there is really just to even if you're just by yourself, just think outside of the moment for a second to remember that things are ultimately replaceable. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know the poem One Art by Elizabeth Bishop? I do not. So it's one of my favorite poems. And I think I just want to read it because I think it's just so relevant to this. So, all right. I'm going to just impromptu poetry reading. I love it. The art of losing isn't hard to master. So many things seem filled with the intent to be lost that their loss is no disaster. 
Lose something every day, except the fluster of lost door keys the hour badly spent. The art of losing isn't hard to master. Then practice losing farther, losing faster. Places and names and where it was you meant to travel. None of these will bring disaster. I lost my mother's watch, and look, my last or next to last of three loved houses went. The art of losing isn't hard to master. I lost two cities, lovely ones, and vaster, some realms I owned, two rivers, a continent. I missed them, but it wasn't a disaster. Even losing you, the joking voice, a gesture I love, I shan't have lied. It's evident the art of losing's not too hard to master, even though it may look, write it, like disaster. That's beautiful. I just have always loved that poem. It's really beautiful. And I actually wrote a blog post kind of based on this poem and kind of based on um, like the experience of losing things while we travel. I can link it in the show notes. And that was what reminded me of this poem. And it's also... I got goosebumps like six isn't times. Isn't it so good? It's such a good poem. I think I read it like a hundred or 200 times. And every time I read it, I'm just like, this is probably like one of the top 10 best poems that's just been written in like the last two centuries or so. I like it because it's not like a poem which is trying to be overly verbose. It's almost like uh, in its directness and simplicity, it you know, you can tap into it. But then when you tap into it, you realize it's a lot deeper than what it appears to be, you know, Mm -hmm. really. Yeah. And the form of it is really beautiful. Let me just get like really English nerd for a second. But it's a type of poem called a villanelle, which is like, probably one of the most difficult poems to write. It's very rigid, very structured. It involves like lots of repetition and a rhyme scheme that can often seem super forced if you're not a talented Mm -hmm. poet, right? So the fact that she's able to create such an incredible world in this poem while like staying true to the confines of that particular form, I think like makes it extra cool. And there's something about the villanelle that just can be super powerful because it's like the repetition, but also the changes that occur kind of like form a cool contrast, you know? Yeah. And it's a beautiful message. That poem probably will communicate more than either of us could as far as a tip related to (laughs) losing things. You know, it's the one thing that I just take from that is somebody who hasn't heard that poem before is just that there's a bit of a inevitability in loss, but it's okay to lose things if it means you're going out on a limb to take chances and do interesting things. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think about the fact that I, you know, I lived in Istanbul for three years and um, it's painful to leave that place, but I'm, God, I'm happy for the memories, you know, and, and it's okay that that's, lost you know that's not my life anymore because i still have that and i don't know there's just something really beautiful as well just as far as thinking about um oftentimes it's not you know it's not the action it's not what's happened it's how we frame it which is the essence of this podcast Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i'm very happy you read that thank you yeah i'm glad i didn't seem too pretentious (laughs) well i mean that is for the audience to decide (laughs) let me recite this incredible poem i've read and let me tell you a little bit about the structure of this poem i think it's i think it's great you know we may as well tap into who the hell we are right because that's true can't pretend to be anything we're not i mean not 40 episodes in now right we might have been able to pretend for like four but not 40 now we are who we are yeah now that the poem has been read (laughs) yeah the cards are on the table All right. So why don't we move into the wrap up thing? Because I really don't have any tips. Just like, no, no, that's just like, don't hate yourself. And also sort of that 
pain versus suffering dynamic that I that I talked about. Yep. Getting just because you've written the narrative before doesn't mean you need to repeat it every single time. Yep, hundred percent. I, I think probably like some of our other recent episodes, the tips were sort of embedded into the conversation itself. So yeah. no problem there. And yeah, I'm with you. Alrighty. So let's wrap things up. No bow because Chris, we're not allowed <laughs> to tie bows on things. <laughs> For new listeners, Chris has said, well, that puts a nice bow on things at the end. No, let's wrap a bow on this. Oh, yeah. Let's wrap a bow on this for like every single episode. And I called him out last time. So I just had to tease him for that a little bit because Uh what is this podcast except, you know, just just me teasing Chris and getting teased That's right. That's the real heart of it. I mean, all the other stuff before I was talking about the deeper things. It's not really that. I mean, this is more just an elaborate ploy that uh, Allison uses to um, to poke fun of me. And it's, uh, it's starting to get, <laughs> I'm almost ready to lose her. <laughs> I'm pretty happy with myself. That was a pretty caffeinated laugh at the end there. I, I did finish my coffee throughout this episode. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, oh, poor Brie. <laughs> She's probably just shaking her head like, what have I gotten myself into for the day? <laughs> or life, her life, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, so, Chris, what are you patting yourself on the back for this week? Well, what am I patting myself on the back for this week? I think I'm just patting myself on the back for this morning. I woke up and it was really blustery out and it's basically a snowstorm and a blizzard in Toronto today. And I kind of think of a blizzard as like, you have the opportunity to either frame it as like, okay, so I'm stuck inside. I'm not going to be able to get out of my place today and whatever. Like I'm going to feel trapped or whatever. And instead I just kind of did what you did the other day where you just took a couple minutes to look. I just looked out the window and looked at how the snow falling and kind of appreciated the fact that I'm on the eighth floor and could look down and see kind of be in the not quite in the clouds now of course but to see this whole snowstorm going around me and i don't know just appreciate just appreciate it just embrace it as opposed to being like oh i'm trapped inside all day to frame it in a positive way Mm -hmm. and i've decided that i'm gonna go for a walk anyways later and just kind of enjoy it you know i probably won't uh, end up making a snowman in the park but i'm still gonna go for a bit anyways and just appreciate it because you know if there's one thing i've learned it's like snowstorms don't happen all the time. I don't want them to happen all the time. But the things in life which are temporary, you know, I want to make an effort now to enjoy them while they're here, even if they aren't, quote unquote, inherently good and supposed to be cherished. Like, it doesn't happen all the time. So that seems like enough of an excuse for me to go outside and be present for a bit later. So Mm -hmm. I'm happy that I had this initial inclination to be like mourn the fact that I was going to be stuck inside all day and the weather was, you know, quote unquote, shitty. And instead, I've found a way to appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also that's one of the things that COVID has kind of made us do is like a lot of the normal things that we would use to sort of like mark the passage of time and the differentiation of days of the week and months of the year and whatnot have kind of been stripped away. And so at least like a snowstorm has kind of just like, oh, today is just markedly different. You know, that's something Mm -hmm. that I have really started to appreciate is like it snowed here as well today. And I went for a walk in the park and watched uh, my pup play in the snow. He was adorable. I have so many videos. (laughs) 
And I was just feeling really joyful today walking in the snow because I was just like, this is so nice. This is just a different experience. And it's just nice to have things which provide contrast, you know, even if you may prefer one to the other. I obviously am a California girl. I prefer like a sunny day to a snowy day, but... It doesn't mean you have to hate the snowy day. Exactly. There's benefits of each, I guess. Wonderful. So what did you want to pat yourself on the back for? Uh, Yeah, I guess just making that difficult phone call and just seeing it through and only having a small meltdown that was at least kind to the other person on the line. (laughs) I have meltdowns and I get really emotionally dysregulated and then I'm not the most pleasant person to deal with. But I was able to keep myself pretty calm, even though the situation I was dealing with was rather stressful. And I resolved it. Like I still have a couple more like loose ends to tie up. Um, that's not a bow, Chris. Don't get ahead of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I was so I was so close to be like bow, bow. <laughs> so it's not like one hundred percent finished task. Don't have to think about again. But I'm just more happy that I set the promise to myself to do it yesterday, and then I like couldn't quite get into the mindset to do it. But then I was like, okay, it's really non-negotiable that I do it tomorrow. And today is like, I realized that the time that I had set aside to do it was there. And I was a little over, I was like, oh shit, I was supposed to do that like 20 minutes ago. I'm like, okay, you know what? Normally I would just be like, oh, you know, you were supposed to do it 20 minutes ago. So just do it tomorrow. It's no big deal. You can just keep putting it off. I was like, no, I'd rather just be done with it and just have finished it. And so I did. And I'm just happy that I ignored the incredibly tempting impulse to procrastinate. Well, I like that a lot. That deserves a pat on the back. And I think this has been a great episode and not necessarily just because I'm saying like, you know, audience, you should enjoy this. Listeners, you should enjoy this. I just uh, am grateful for the opportunity to just chat about this for an hour. I think it's funny, you know, sometimes we outline a topic and I think the topic is going to be really surface level and really shallow. And then we get to the end of it. And I think like, holy shit, <laughs> this, this is more complicated than I thought. And I'm grateful to um, to be able to do that with you. So mm-hmm. let's collectively pat ourselves on the back for that, for giving ourselves that space and talking honestly about this stuff. You know, I really hope this resonates with people, but uh, I just want to let I'm very, very grateful to be able to do this every week. Yeah, me too. It's been really fun. And I think we do end up going on some like unexpectedly deep like realizations. We're like, oh, wow. That's related to the time my father left my whole family. He decided to go buy a pack of cigarettes and then never came back. (laughs) It's funny you mention that. There was an evening on the 1992 where the snow was coming down. (laughs) I remember looking out the window and thinking, what is a snowflake? (laughs) Yes. Very similar things. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say that maybe I think. This is probably the point where I should probably get off the recording because the coffee's hit in too hard, you know. Yeah, you're that, like, that, well, that I'm, story. Becoming, I'm becoming possessed by Charles Dickens, so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that story, like, it did scream, like, stop recording, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, we'll leave Chris to his caffeine-fueled frenzy. And uh, we'll leave you to whatever you are doing with your day. We hope it's a good one and we hope you don't lose anything today. But if you do, it's totally fine. 
Yeah, couldn't have said it better myself. I'll leave it there. Have a good day, everyone. Take care. All the best. Bye-bye. All right, have a good week.